this uh, past February, I was uh, traveling on vacation with some priest friends. And two of us uh, returning home were flying uh, from Charlotte to Cleveland Airport. And we left my, uh, our cars at my aunt and uncle's house about 30 minutes from Cleveland. Supposed to land at 10, 11 p.m. So they were going to come pick us up uh, that night. But as we're leaving Charlotte, we noticed a big snowstorm hitting Cleveland, and so we actually thought the flight was going to be canceled, but uh, it just got delayed, and we still flew out. I kind of wish we hadn't, because I did not think I was going to be living at the end of that flight, uh, landing in Cleveland. But we did, but we were a couple hours late, and so my aunt and uncle had texted me while I was on the flight and said, you know, we're, this is going to be too late. It was like 1 a.m., so we'll have to get a hotel, we'll have to get you in the morning. So we land, we go down to the baggage claim, and uh, it seems there's more activity than normal at 1 a.m. Uh, down in baggage claim, and so we get our bags, and I call up a hotel locally, and the guy sounds confused. I said, I just need a room for tonight. He said, sir, um, there is no hotel rooms within about 100 miles of Cleveland. I said, what in the world is going on? He said, you know, it's the NBA All-Star game this weekend. <laughs> and I felt kind of like a dummy because I'm a sports fanatic, but I was on vacation. I had no clue of the NBA All-Star game. Uh, and then uh, as soon as he said that, I hear the mayor of Cleveland, they're running a, a voice recording of him through the, the terminals and baggage claim saying, welcome to Cleveland for the NBA All-Star game. I was hearing that the entire time, but, but it did register. And so, you know, no hotels are off the table. So then I start inquiring about, you know, Ubers and taxis. And they say, there is, first of all, it's a snowstorm, but all the, the Ubers and taxis are all in downtown Cleveland driving around these really rich people for really high fees. So there is no, you're not going to get a taxi or an Uber or Lyft anywhere near this airport. And I noticed some, I think, important people were getting into cars, uh, probably celebrities or some basketball players I didn't recognize or something. So after about a half hour, 45 minutes of this, it dawned on us, um, we were stuck there. And so, you know, I've slept, as maybe some of you have, I've slept in a terminal before where you have to sprawl out across the, the chairs of the terminal. Uh, I have never slept in the baggage claim, <laughs> which is not temperature controlled because the, the doors keep opening whenever somebody, and it was like 10 degrees, and there's not really chairs, and so me and my buddy looked at each other and we said, we're here till probably 7.30 a.m. until we can get my aunt and uncle to come uh, pick us up. It's about 1.30 a.m. at this time, so we just, we hunkered down for the night. And I was tired at some point, so I decided to sleep on the conveyor belt uh, of the, the, uh, the baggage claim. I, I took out a bunch of uh, clothes from my thing. I covered myself with them. I just laid right on the conveyor belt. And I told my buddy, I said, if, if a flight comes in and this thing starts to move, You'll get me off there. But, it, you know, it's the middle of the night. So I slept there. My buddy told me later people were walking by, taking all sorts of pictures of me. Uh, but I needed some sleep. Anyway, we made it, obviously, through the evening. And my aunt and uncle came and picked us up uh, in, in the morning. Uh, I thought of this story 
because of a couple of the things Jesus says one should expect if you're a disciple of his in the gospel. He gives a number of things that should characterize discipleship, uh, including prayer for uh, people to care for the harvest, including detachment, a healthy detachment from material things so that we have the freedom to respond to the needs in front of us. He talks about the value of stability. He says, don't bounce from one house to another. Stay where you're, where you're welcomed. And so the value of living a life somewhat stable and not characterized by complete chaos and movement at all times. But I thought of three in relation to how I felt uh, in Cleveland that night. The first is the, the need for community. So the first thing we're told about these 72 is that they're set in pairs. Right? Just a beautiful uh, you know, statement about Jesus' understanding that we can't do this alone. Right? We can't live alone, a really flourishing human life, but we also can't be a disciple of Jesus alone. Right? We need help. And I, I was thinking about that. If I didn't have my priest friend there, like I would have survived, I'm, I'm hoping. Um, but it definitely, it, it gave us a sense of like we're in this together. Like this is not ideal. This is kind of unpleasant. But we're in this together. Right? We could, we could joke about it. We could laugh about it. We could uh, talk to people together about it. Um, right? There was a sense of the community there. And so we can't do this discipleship thing by ourselves. We need a community of faith, a community of people who are going to journey with us through the ups and downs of what it means uh, to follow Jesus. The second thing um, uh, that I, uh, from Jesus' discipleship that I related to was just the likelihood of rejection. You know, that first phone call was sort of a sense of rejection, and then all of these taxis and, and people would, I, I would see a car pull in, I'd run out, and they'd be like, oh no, we're picking somebody else up, and there's no other taxis in Cleveland. There was this just constant sense of rejection to the point that we finally just gave up right on the matter. And Jesus says that if you're going to follow me, you should ex accept, expect um, that you're not always going to be accepted. He says that in this passage, he says some towns won't welcome you. Some houses won't welcome you. Right? And so I've always find it, found it strange, the idea of a completely agreeable Christian. Right? A, a Christian that never upsets anyone. Like This is, seems to be very contrary to what Jesus says one should expect. It doesn't mean we go out looking for fights. Right? He, Jesus never says that. We go out looking for fights. But he says that to follow me probably means not everyone all the time, is going to like you, is going to accept you. And he goes further, he says your peace, your interior peace shouldn't be dependent on that. And that's really hard for us because we definitely want to be liked by people, right? And we definitely want to be accepted and there's a healthy sense of that that's necessary for any human life, right? Uh, a feeling of affirmation and unconditional love. But to a, to a, on the extreme, Jesus says, like, our inner peace should not be destroyed because someone doesn't accept me being a follower of Jesus. He says the peace comes back to you, bounces off of them, comes right back to you. My inner peace, my inner serenity is not destroyed uh, because you don't accept me as a follower of, of Jesus. And so that's the, the second thing, the likelihood of rejection. Again, it doesn't mean we go out looking for fights. doesn't mean we're mean. doesn't mean we're rude, right? It, 
doesn't mean any of those things, but it means that to follow Jesus sometimes means uh, that we will believe things and, and practice things that may not be accepted uh, by all. And the third thing, I think, is gratitude. Jesus says, eat what is set before you in the house. Right? Eat what is set before you in the house. Right? Be grateful for what's given. Even if you wouldn't have cooked that for yourself. Even if that's not what you could imagine was the ideal. Eat what is set before you. I remember that night, the, uh, of course, everything went wrong. The vending machines were not accepting credit cards. And so, you know, only change. Well, first, you know, I don't carry cash or change as many young millennials and Gen Zers don't. Um, and so I had to, you know, kind of broker with, I think, what it was a homeless man to get some change. Um, and, you know, we're, we struck up a conversation and ended up playing cards together. And, you know, it was part of the whole evening. But I had to get, I had to accept change, uh, you know, probably from a homeless man to get myself a bag of Reese's Pieces from the, uh, the vending machine that night. And I thought, this isn't ideal, but, you know, it, what it was. And then, you know, throughout the evening, just talking to random people. And then, um, and I, you know, I don't like sleeping on conveyor belts. Um, and so just the whole evening. But I was thinking, I'm grateful even for a place to, to rest my head. The gratitude of the generosity of others and what other people have made possible for us. Like, I think that's really lacking today. There's a great quote from the Dalai Lama that I love, and it's, I'm going to paraphrase it. But he says, pretty much everything that we take for granted in society was not created by us and not done by us. Everything, every car we get into, every light bulb we turn on, every food we eat... And we take it all for granted, right? We're not, I, I, I have to remind myself to be incredibly grateful that we have a cool church today, right? That we live in a place that people know how to work air conditioning and create air conditioning. People know how to cook food. Hopefully people know how to set off fireworks properly, right? The, the, we live in a society that almost, I've created none of it, none of it. And I take it all for granted, right? This sense of gratitude of what other people have made possible for our convenience and our livelihood. Of course, we remember that this weekend with the celebration of our country, right? The gratitude uh, for what the, the gifts of this country that we just take for granted living so far removed uh, from its inception. And so the, the, the disciples should be characterized, Jesus says, by a generosity or a gratitude that says, I'm going to eat what is set before me, even though it may not be exactly what I would have wanted or the ideal, I'm going to, I'm going to take what is set before me and I'm going to be grateful uh, for the gift and the generosity of others. So friends, this is a, a great text in laying out, uh, obviously in a first century way. I mean, you know, he says no sandals, uh, right? No tunic, uh, no money purse, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're obviously wrestling in the first century with how radical of a missionary you need to be, right? This is Luke's account, but in Matthew's account, you have a slightly different take on the amount of material possessions you can take and so on, right? They're wrestling with, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a missionary in his cause? And obviously, some of that doesn't apply to us today, right, who live with, uh, obviously, and I want you to wear sandals to church um, for obvious reasons, uh, or shoes or something, right? 
Um, right, some of it doesn't apply to us today, but some of it does. The principles, right, of the need for community that I recognized in a strange way that night in Cleveland, right? The, the possibility and likelihood of rejection, which we shouldn't go looking for, but we should accept with grace. And then finally, the need to cultivate a spirit of generosity, but also a spirit of gratitude for the many things that other people have made possible for us that we just take for granted and to be grateful for those gifts. So let's strive as we all seek